morning, everyone. Lovely to see you, and thanks for joining at home as well. So, as Chloe said, we're continuing with our series on the book of Daniel, and so today we're looking at chapter five, and this is all about King Belshazzar and the writing on the wall. Now, what's really interesting is lots of sort of phrases that we say today have come from this chapter that we're looking at today. So when it says the writing on the wall, that's often a sign of something failing or doom. And I can remember being in my GCSE year maths group thinking the writing's on the wall, I'm not gonna get through this. And even now, some 30 odd years later, I'm serving customers and this glazed look comes upon you and they say, how much do I owe you? And I'm trying to count up in my head. And also there's a phrase where it talks about the king being so scared that his knees were knocking together. And have you ever been so afraid that your knees are kind of knocking together, like the life goes out of your body and your limbs go so weak? That is also found in this chapter. So we're going to read it together and then we're going to look at some history and then we're going to pull out three quick points of how we can help some of these things relate to us today. So we're going to start in chapter 5 and verse 1. So King Balthazar was having a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, of iron, of wood and stone. And suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners, and then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and they will be made the third highest ruler in my kingdom, in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. And so King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him in the time of father he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. He did this because Daniel whom the king called Belteshazzar was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. And so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men, enchanters, were brought before me, and they could not tell me what this writing means, and they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you were able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. 
If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed, deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, instead you set yourself up God of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles. Your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot even be seen or heard or understood. But you did not honor God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, pazin. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Right, that was a big long chapter, but it is the story of all that happened on that fateful night where doom came to Babylon. So we're going to have a little look now at some history, and then we're going to pull out some points. Oh, it's quite a heavy, isn't it? Sobering piece of scripture this is. I'm going to try and make it light-hearted. Not. Okay, so 66 years have gone by now since chapter 1, which tells of King Nebuchadnezzar's strike against Jerusalem in 605 BC. He dies in 562 after reigning as the king of Babylon for 43 years. So we're going to skip through the genealogy now. His son, Merodach, ruled 562 to 560. His brother-in-law, Neraglisa, ruled for about four years. And after a short two-month reign by Labishi Merdach, in 556 BC, the Babylonian Empire continued from 556 to 539 BC under the command of Nabonidus. And so Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus, and he co-reigned with his father from 553 to 539 BC. So when we hear it says Nebuchadnezzar was his father, it wasn't like his dad, but it talks more about the, the genealogy and ancestry. And so King Nebuchadnezzar would have been his grandfather. 
And so archaeologists have discovered Belshazzar's name on several documents, and he ruled with his father, staying home to administer the affairs of the kingdom while his father was away, sort of dueling at war and trying to reopen trade routes that had been taken over by um, the enemies. And so Nabonidus was the first ruler, Belshazzar was the second ruler, and so the person who was going to read and interpret this writing on the wall would be given the honour of being the third most important person in the kingdom. And so he was pretty desperate. And so he calls the wise men of his kingdom, and they couldn't interpret the three words written on the wall, which was in Aramaic, which would have been a language understood by the Babylonians. But God gave Daniel alone the ability to interpret the message of doom against Babylon. And so when we hear about the queen who came into the banquet hall, we can assume that this lady would have been his mother or grandmother because it says that his wives and concubines were with him in the party, in the banquet. And so this queen would have remembered Daniel and the sort of interpretation of the dreams that King Nebuchadnezzar had had. And so this lady would have remembered him and his God-given abilities to interpret things like this. And so the king... And so she was like saying, you know, remember Daniel, let's get him in, let's, he can help you, don't give up hope, don't be so worried, don't be so pale, don't be so scared, Daniel can help. So she was trying to throw him some hope. And so the king offered Daniel beautiful and attractive gifts and great power if he explained the writing on the wall. But Daniel turned him down. He was not motivated by material rewards. And this really speaks to us all of his life. He'd been in captivity now for about 70 years and he was getting on a bit. He would have been about 80 to 90 years of age by now as he was a teenager when he had been taken from his home and brought to kind of serve under Nebuchadnezzar. And so he turned him down. All of his life he had chosen to do the right thing. He would have been getting on a bit. And so he knew that these gifts, as attractive as they are and as tempting as they would have been, would not benefit him because he was more interested in doing the right thing, which was his first priority. He loved God enough to do what was right, and even though it meant giving up personal gain. So now Belshazzar would have known all about the history of Babylon. So he would have known about Nebuchadnezzar and this dream and this guy who'd interpreted the dreams for him that he was a, you know, a Jew and he, was, he had this God in heaven who was real. But as we know, the Babylonians worshipped pagan gods and they were into idolatry and they didn't acknowledge this one true God, Belshazzar especially. And so he would have recalled the events that had taken place in history, but in a way we see that sight of like history repeating itself, this arrogance and pride that was kind of being stirred up in him. He had grown proud and arrogant and was very rebellious against the one true God, taking the goblets from God's temple and drinking from them and praising the God of the false gods and the gods of like the moon and the sun and the silver and gold and all gods who didn't even hear, didn't even see, weren't even real. And so this was like totally disrespecting the one true God. And what is interesting is this feast 
was the night before one of their major festivals in Babylon. So it was a bit like a day, night before, Sunday night before a bank holiday. And so this party would have been huge. All the nobles, anyone who was anyone in Babylon would have been there, all the important people. And we can tell by this passage of scripture, all the sort of goings on that were going on, don't need to go into detail. There would have been a lot of wine flowing, drunkenness and all sorts of things going on. But Belshazzar couldn't just stop there. He was like, bring in the goblets from God's temple. And so this was like sacrilege. It was so mocking and so disrespectful, the things that he did. And then they went on to praise these gods, these goblets, these things that were found in God's holy temple were being used to bring dishonor to God's name because they were being used to worship all these false gods and idols. And so totally sacrilege. So anyone who knows God, the creator of the universe, would be so foolish to challenge him. And here we see Belshazzar like throwing his fists to God in a way, sort of challenging the one true God by being so disrespectful. And here we see God reaching out in a way from another dimension, bringing the writing onto the plaster of a Babylonian wall of judgment to a king who thought he was indestructible. Now, Babylonian, the Babylon Empire hadn't been defeated for about a thousand years. It was strong. It had major armies. Its walls, its towers were thick and high and strong. And it was like a fortress. You know, nobody could get in. And I think this King Belshazzar was kind of resting in that hope that they were indestructible. No one can defeat us. And so he had this like arrogance about him. And so Babylon was a thousand years without defeat. And here on this very night, we see the doom of Babylon approaching because of defiance. Now, often kings would kill the bearer of bad news. <laughs> and so Daniel was not afraid to tell the truth to the king, even though he knew it was not what he would have wanted to hear. He was courageous under pressure. He chose to go through the risky door. He chose to go through the narrow gate, so to speak. And in Matthew 7, 13, it says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And so even though Daniel knew that this was risky and he could probably lose his life as a result, he was prepared to give the truth and live his life honoring God and putting God first, even under pressure. And in the New Testament, this is talking about when we choose Jesus or when we choose God and we say sorry for the things we've done wrong and we put our life into his hand, in a way it's like going through a narrow gate because it is a gate of safety and love and security and we're choosing the right way to go because in life there are so many gates, so many doors of opportunity and different things we could do and choose. But here we see Daniel in the Old Testament choosing God first rather than every other option. And that is so much of a lesson for us today, isn't it? You know, there are so many doors we could walk through in life, so many decisions, so many choices we could make. You know, we could run with this crowd, we could get into that, oh, be fine, God will, God won't mind, God will forgive me, I'll deal with that when I'm older. You know, I'll put myself right before God in, you know, in years to come when I've lived a bit, to have some experience. But actually, the Bible encourages us. Like Chloe was saying this morning, God has got our back. And one of the ways he's got our back is through the scripture, because it advises us, it helps us to take the best route for our lives, it encourages us to go through that narrow gate of safety and purpose in God.
And so we're going to look now at a couple of things, three quick points of what we can draw out of this rather sobering uh, piece of scripture. And so that very night, we know that King Belshazzar was slain. You know, sometimes he, he might have thought he's got time, or oh, I've got time, but he didn't that very night. It tells us that he was killed. And so the Medes and the Persians joined forces and overthrew Babylon. Darius and his soldiers entered and overthrew Babylon. Darius and his soldiers entered Babylon by diverting the river that ran through the city and then they walked in on the dry riverbed. How clever was that? And so let's have a look at some of the things we can learn. Well, I think the big obvious thing that stands out from these passages of scripture is that pride often comes before a fall. Now, I'm sure none of us would exhibit this sort of pride and arrogance that Belshazzar displayed. However, we are all human, we are all fallen, and pride is sometimes something that can creep in the back door of our lives, where it's about me, 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 me. And so pride, it says in the Bible, in Proverbs, pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. And pride is an ingredient in every quarrel, isn't it? Sometimes it is the thing that starts a quarrel, uh, continues a quarrel, and doesn't solve a quarrel. And so admitting when we are wrong are difficult things to swallow. And I need advice is a difficult phrase to ask because both of these things require humility. So pride stirs up conflict and it can divide people, it can divide couples, it can divide families and churches and countries and even great empires. And so if we find ourselves constantly arguing, let's say, let's examine our hearts for pride. Maybe that little bit of pride has seeped in. Let's be open to the advice of others who have the best interests for our lives and ask for help when we need it, and be willing to admit mistakes. There was a person in our family a long time ago, and they never liked to be wrong. And when they were obviously wrong, they would never admit it. They'd never say sorry or just take it on the chin. They had to have the last word. They had to be right all the time. They were so proud and a little bit arrogant, and it really did cause havoc in the relationships they had with people in their family, people in their workplace, people on their street, and their friendships groups, all because they wouldn't just swallow that little little bit of humility and say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Why is it so hard for us sometimes just to kind of admit these things? So pride, let's watch for it, let's keep a check on it and make sure it doesn't take a hold, especially in our relationships. The second point is God is fair and just. He is full of grace, he is full of love, he is full of mercy, but he is also a judge. And this can be really hard to understand. But the Bible is clear. God loves us with a love that is greater than any human love. But he is also a God who judges sin and evil with perfect justice. And in Psalm 145 verse 8 it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. But God does not allow sin and evil to continue unchecked. And this is what was being checked right on this eve with the um, party or feast of Belshazzar. In Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And when I was a little girl in Sunday school, this was a verse that was often sort of pinned on the wall or on a plaque or in the back of a little gift or a book or a hymn or whatever. 
And I always used to think, oh, this is a really heavy verse. God is a God of love, surely. But all it means is like the way we live our lives, at the end of it, we will be judged and we get what we deserve. And so God has reached out from heaven to all of us, to all mankind, every person, young, old, from every culture, every sort of denomination and every part of the world with his love and with his grace because he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to this earth to give us a relationship, a hope that we can put our lives right before God, that we can choose God, we can follow him, we can turn from those things that the Bible calls sin, those bad things we say, think and do or get caught up in, live in our own way, being defiant against God. And this is the gift, this is the hope that each and every person has and we can respond to it. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the message of the good news that God loves each and every one of us and he throws us that sort of saving net. You know, what are you going to do with my son Jesus? How are you going to respond to what Jesus did for you? And this is the hope that we have. But God's time of judgment will come for all people. And if we have forgotten God or slipped into a sinful way of life or turned back into bad habits, turn away from them, Come back to God, ask for his forgiveness, and begin to live right place in your hand in his. And this is something that is a challenge for all of us from time to time. But God ultimately loves us and wants us to be restored and in relationship with him and wants us to serve him and live for him with all our lives. And as we do that, we can be assured that we will have this great gift of eternal life that isn't something we can earn and it's not something we can repay. It is a free gift because of Jesus and the work of the cross. And so the third point I see in this is that Daniel was not motivated by material rewards, but by doing the right thing. And in Galatians it says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Now sometimes it can be really discouraging, can't it, when we are just doing the right thing, we're being persistent in serving, and we're being faithful in giving, we're helping and we're supporting, and we're just doing the right thing. But we may not be seeing any sort of tangible results or thanks or rewards. But Paul here is challenging his readers and he is saying, just keep on doing good and trust God. And in due time, you will reap the harvest of blessing. And in Matthew, it talks about, in Matthew 6, 9, verse 19 to 21, it talks about laying treasures in heaven up for ourselves. And this is a verse that I often get very challenged by when life is sort of busy and you're caught up in so many things, demands, and uh, you know, you have to work and do all these things, but sometimes it's just to come back to this, to say, where is my treasure? What treasure am I building? Am I just building treasures for this earth, the here and now, the enjoyable immediate future, or am I actually building some treasure up in heaven for when I get there? And so it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so Daniel's heart was really on heavenly things. And we too can check our hearts by asking ourselves from time to time, What do I spend most of my time and energy thinking about? What do you spend most of your time and energy thinking about? Just have a think. What occupies more of my thoughts, more of my time, and more of my efforts? Have a think. 
What takes up that space? What sort of things? Is it your commitment to God and spiritual matters? Or is it accumulating material possessions and more stuff? And Jesus contrasts heavenly values with earthly values. And Belshazzar, we definitely know, was caught up with power and wealth and position and possessions and selfish ambition. Daniel, in comparison, was all about his father's business, doing the right thing. And so that's something that we can definitely take a check up on from time to time, certainly for myself. And so let's continue to serve God and do the right thing and store up those heavenly treasures. And so to sum up today, let's keep a check on pride, make sure it doesn't sneak in the back door of our lives and relationships. Let's ensure we are living right before God. And if there's anything that is obviously not, we need to sort it out and put ourselves right before God. Say sorry, ask for his forgiveness, ask for his help, ask others for help. Ensure we are right before him and do the right thing. Just like Daniel did. Even though it would have cost him, he did the right thing. And so in our lives, in our work, wherever we are, in uni, in school, with our families, with our friends, let's just ask, what's the right thing? Let's do the right thing. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your book of life. Thank you for all the people in it, all the things that we can learn from people who've gone before us. I pray, Jesus, today that you would help us to continue to live for you. Help us in our areas of weakness. Help us to be humble enough to take a check sometimes on our attitudes our words, our relationships. Help us to live right before you. And if there's anything in our lives, Lord, just flag it up so that we can deal with it and not go through our lives struggling, but that we can know your grace and love and forgiveness. Help, strength, and Holy Spirit power in our lives to live for you today. So Jesus, I ask for your blessing to be upon each and every person here today, every child, every woman, every man. Bless us, Lord, as we endeavor to live for you in this dark world where there is so much temptation, so much out there, so many choices, so many options. Help us to do the right thing, to live by your word and by your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.